You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, I got I got a few questions for you. Yeah. Um, let me just run down the list. Um, are you a racist? Yeah. And how do you know that you're racist? I mean, from my past, mm-hmm. being somebody who has benefited from racist systems mm-hmm. and didn't do anything to stop it or change it at the time, mm-hmm. from somebody who's made all we were talking about earlier. The jokes. M- making jokes yep. at people's expense. Mm-hmm. Making jokes that are specifically and 100% racist jokes Mm -hmm. that are not just like you know there's like the overt racist Mm -hmm. and then there's like the accidental racist which doesn't remove the responsibility and then there's the kind of just general racism that people may not know they're participating in you know there's not the like card carrying KKK members Mm -hmm. I think the majority of society is racist Mm -hmm. they don't realize it because of it's all it's just the cultural privilege that they're benefiting from Mm -hmm. but they wouldn't call themselves that they wouldn't be, you know, carrying a Confederate flag down the streets. Right. Yeah, there's the um, white extremists and then there's right. just the your run of the mill white supremacists who may not necessarily know. Right. Or may not even want to pay attention to it because right. there's a lot of cognitive dissonance that comes totally. with it. And I so, and I've been I have to admit that I've been probably a part of both, you know, never mm-hmm. and it would never have been a card carrying overt racist but mm-hmm. made those jokes. So, made those comments, you yeah. know what I mean? So and I still have that baggage where there's yeah. still times when like it's that shitty little voice in your head, sorry for the language. You good. But like when something happens and the same thing happens now with like mm-hmm. a little thing pops up in your head when you just immediately you think it mm-hmm. and then you immediately realize that's that little voice that I've been trying so hard to get rid of that mm-hmm. I thought I was past but it's still there. Yeah. Even if it's and it's not always about like racism or gender identity or sexual identity. Even just like certain theological things, so I'm just like, I don't believe in that anymore. But then it'll pop up where you're just like, I'm trying. I thought I had gotten rid of that, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. and just like even being a parent, stuff like that pops up. Mm-hmm. Like my daughter will ask a question, and I'm like, okay, there's what I think now, but then there was what I was raised on, and it's really easy to just default to the comfort of what you were raised on, mm-hmm. and being like, I know that that's easy to go to. That's not what I believe anymore. So how do I do the work of like where I'm at now? You know what I mean? So is there like a kind of hard to gauge it? There's like a low, mid, or high level of guilt that you kind of walk around with every day? Yeah. Yeah. And I've had this conversation a lot. And I I think that there's, for a lot of people, they say like like the phrase white guilt. Mm -hmm. That we have to get past it. Like for for activists, for allies to say there's a period of time when like you first get awakened to the reality of of racism, you first get awakened to privilege. Mm -hmm. And that's part of like we were talking about earlier, that dismantling stage Mm -hmm. where it's like very like I'm going to tear all of this down. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to get to this place of like everything sucks. All of this white guilt. I'm responsible for all of this negativity. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of times people talk about like, but then you need to get out of that to a place of like rebuilding which I'm like, yes, it's true, but like, it to me, racism and, and white privilege and white supremacy is like a, it's like alcoholism. An alcoholic will say, like, I'm always an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You don't get past that. You know, like you go through the twelve step program. Mm-hmm. Part of that is saying, like, I am an alcoholic, not I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's I this think- reality of like. For a lot of folks to say, we need to get out of it. And I think that there's some truth to, like, you need to get out of, like, this self-destructive guilt, like, because that will be, it's a black hole that you never Mm -hmm. get out of and you never get to a place of, like, action where it's just easy to be, like, destructive and you just want to be home and you just want to, like, everything sucks, I'm not doing anything, I'm horrible, where you just, like, beating yourself up all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, you do need to get to a place of being, like, okay what am I rebuilding? What community am I getting into? How am I getting active? Mm-hmm. But I feel like we do always need to have the, a little bit of this understanding. Like, I don't ever want to say I was guilty because, like, mm-hmm. I'm still guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, because that, it, it it almost treats it again like we were talking about earlier where it's just a flip or it's just a switch that you flip. Or, 
when and it doesn't realize like the long process of like tearing all that stuff down Mm -hmm. and it's almost like oh i was a racist but i'm not anymore Mm. but i still have those little things that pop up in my head i still have those little voices i still have the same thing with you know like we were talking about just a few minutes ago like with trans friends like the little being like this is weird but like why is it weird like, why is it wrong of this person to tell me how they want to identify? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. But does it have to make sense to me? Is the point that it makes sense to me? Mm. Because the point, that's the same thing with race. If I'm saying that the view is that you as a black man have to make sense to me as a white man, that's the white supremacy that we're talking about. Right. And that's something that I'm trying to tear down. Mm. So then why is it, why do I have to have you as a transgender person make sense to me? Because then I'm just reinforcing my cis privilege why is it that I have to have you as a gay person or a lesbian make sense to me because to me it's like if that is the thing that I'm choosing to reinforce over and over again that's just me reinforcing my place as dominant that's just reinforcing my dominant culture Mm -hmm. so the issue is and the solution is that's why I said earlier like I don't think that it's that I have a specific solution in place I think that the for a person of privilege it's the process of listening and it's putting yourself in a place to say I don't have it figured out Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to me but I'm going to put myself in a place to learn from others to be around other people to listen to other people's experiences and then not try to put it through the filter so it makes sense to me Mm -hmm. but just to sit with it and be like that doesn't make sense to me and it's okay for me to admit that it doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But number one, I'm not black. So it's not necessarily going to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it shouldn't make sense to me. Because the things that we're trying to make sense of are senseless. Like mm-hmm. Mike Very Brown true. getting murdered in Ferguson by a cop is senseless. Mm-hmm. So if I try to make sense of it, that's removing the tragedy of the thing. Word. And then I can just rationalize it and be like, oh, well, it happened because he stole some cigarillos. Mm-hmm. But like, is that really why it happened? It happened because he resisted. You know, when you right. resist from a police officer, you know, you should right. probably die. But did it even <laughs> happen because he resisted? No. Like, no. there's all these other questions, yes. right? Where it's like, if I try to make we know, sense we of it. We know why it happened. Right. We know, we why, know why it why happened. happened. But if I try to make sense of it, I'm just trying to, like, even making sense of it is like, putting it into my place of privilege being mm-hmm. like if it makes sense to me then it, then I've got it figured out mm-hmm. but the point is is maybe that I don't have it figured out mm-hmm. and for people to say like I've got it figured out I was I did have white guilt but I don't anymore mm-hmm. to me is like mm, maybe you do though <laughs> because mm-hmm. having it figured out and having it being a thing that you got past isn't in and of itself like a symptom of privilege because for people of color it's not a thing you get past it's mm-hmm. a thing you live with every day Word. for being somebody who's gay that's the thing that you live with every day they're not the same thing mm-hmm. but it's something that like is a part of your everyday there's going to be racism sexism you know for women they walk down the street it's a very different experience than me so if I just try to make sense of it I'm reinforcing myself. You know what I'm, you know what I'm I, saying? I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I feel like I'm doing you, a bad job of explaining no, it. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're doing very good. And, it's like um, a, it's a disease, you know, that at a certain yeah. point you say like, if racism and white supremacy is a disease. Mm-hmm. Which it is. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's something that I'm always going to have. Right. And then I have Unless to you find a cure for that disease. Which we're not there yet. We're not there. So then those but of let's, us, but let's let's build towards it. So right, next so that means that those of us who have it, who have the disease, mm-hmm. have to work hard, or very hard, to fight against the symptoms that are going to bring us down. Because it's easy to get back into the comfort of how I was raised. Right, I have the privilege of going home to my neighborhood, which is predominantly white, and it's really easy for me to just sink back into the privilege. Mm-hmm. If I want to get over that, I have to actively seek it out. So it's we like, don't want to. We don't want to mask the symptoms we don't want to take a no, cough no, no. medicine i have to acknowledge that they're there in we order to go be able past to realize the symptoms it. and we want to eradicate right we want to get that out of our body right, right. next question do you have a religion because you talked about you know dismantling mm-hmm. white theology dominant theology cis theology 
all those different types of theology. So what is your religion? What is your theology? What do you believe? Yeah. And that's something that I'm trying to rebuild and figure out. Mm -hmm. It's like when you take a house, you remodel a house and you tear it down to the studs, you know, like you take off all of the siding, you take off the drywall and all you've got left is just the foundation, Mm -hmm. maybe a few beams, the roof beam. And then you're like, okay, what, what house do I want to add? What do I want to have? However, if you tear down a house and remodel, you should have a, you typically have a plan of what you're going to do. With right, right. Yeah. You have so a plan. What, so what is your foundation? I think the foundation is a understanding of who God designed us to be mm-hmm. and who Jesus calls us to be. Okay. Which very easily, this is where the, you start to like parse tiny pieces of language that I think is like very fun theologically, but also very difficult mm. because you get into like an evangelical, like still in that, like now I go to an evangelical setting. I used to work at the Christian supply bookstore out on division. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would come in and again, the white privilege, the Christian privilege would just automatically assume that we're on the same page. Word. So they would say something. And be like, you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, actually, no, I don't. That's what I'm asking you. I have no idea. I don't want to assume what you believe right. or whatever the case might be. So what? So but that's your... where we we have that understanding of being like. So we, if I said, it's it's who God and Jesus calls us to be. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's like the uh, you know super right wing, uber conservatives, and go, Amen, brother. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be like, No, 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 no. But like, let me continue there. So like, we start there. Mm-hmm. And everybody just kind of can easily be on the same page. And I'm like, yeah, but what what I think Jesus and God calls us to be may be very different things because I believe in a God who calls all people to be in community with each other. Mm-hmm. And that through our community with each other and the, like a true community, not that self-serving community that we are raised with, that it's all about living in a community of people, the beloved community, mm-hmm. where we don't necessarily understand each other. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily all are, we're not all on the same page. We're not all necessarily speaking the same language, but that through that, and it's not just like this hippie diversity that mm-hmm. we like to talk about, but it's not mm-hmm. a real one, but like really truly living in community and saying like, we don't have it figured out. This doesn't make sense to me, but somehow we're drawn to each other. And through that understanding, through that reality, of like struggling to understand each other something really beautiful comes out of that um where there's this and to me it's like this is a story of the gospel is uh silverton oregon down by uh north of salem really small town yeah very conservative um they elected the uh first transgender mayor in the United States mm-hmm. um, a couple of years back. There's just really... Do you ever listen to the radio show or podcast, Radio Lab? Oh, from time to time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did an episode about this and, um, you know, a lot of people were like... Obviously, Stu Rasmussen, the name of the mayor, um, was elected. So mm-hmm. won the popular election. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the town would... Uh, the majority of the people who voted, not the majority of the town, mm-hmm. voted for Stu. But there was a large backlash of people of like, Stu looks like a man, but dresses like a woman. I don't know who Stu is. I don't know. This doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Conservative town. There was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of backlash from in the media because it was all in the news. You know, first transgender mayor, national, global news, mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, Westboro Baptist Church. The, uh, they're the ones who like protest funerals. They've got the big God hates fag signs. Okay. You know, the worst people that we don't want to be around um, came to Silverton to protest. Um, they, uh, you know, were protesting through town. And the, the, the Radio Lab episode, I recommend listening to it. It's phenomenal. All of these people who didn't understand Stu, who were like, I don't like Stu in college were probably the ones who were making fun of Stu behind Stu's back who didn't vote for Stu who were like we shouldn't have a trans mayor members of the church 
members of like you know they interviewed like a pastor of a church in Silverton who was like yeah like I don't agree with Stu I don't necessarily agree with Stu's lifestyle all of a sudden Westboro Baptist came in with their huge signs protesting being like God hates fags and they were like we're not that though and you don't mess with one of ours whether or not Stu's trans or gay or fits into my thing Stu's from Silverton and you don't mess with one of us so all of these people from the town including like conservative city councilmen including the pastors Mm -hmm. they all went downtown because and Stu owned a theater and so all of the Westboro Baptist people were like standing in the city square across from Stu's theater Mm -hmm. all of these conservative men went and bought dresses put on dresses and stood in front of Stu's theater Mm -hmm. to like block Stu from all of this hate that was coming at Stu and coming Mm -hmm. at the town because they were like you don't mess with Silverton you know Mm -hmm. and they were like I'm going to take this these preconceptions that I have mm-hmm. I'm a like a dude who is a dude and I you know I'll never wear a dress but all of a sudden that there's this outside force they're like I'm gonna put on a dress for Stu to stand in solidarity mm-hmm. to say like you don't mess with us I'm gonna completely be willing to put something that I always held really dearly mm-hmm. aside to like show a little bit of grace and love to this person who's mm-hmm. being attacked by hate so like I'm willing to put aside my presuppositions for love to fight hate, you know? And I think that we, to me, that's like an amazing story of the gospel. Like at the end of the day, they took the dress off. They'd all of a sudden weren't marching in the pride parade. You know what I mean? They all of a sudden weren't like voting completely to like legalize gay marriage. You know what I mean? But there was a moment where they were like, something's happening here. I'm called to love this person they're in my community mm-hmm. I'm going to put aside some presuppositions to say like I'm going to put on a dress mm-hmm. for a little bit of time to love this person mm-hmm. and that's similar to like when I moved to San Francisco was mm-hmm. like I don't get what's going on but this person seems to have something figured out mm-hmm. and to me like that's the power of, of the gospel is to be like I don't know but like and, and we see stories like that all the time of like hey um, like, like, I maybe for maybe for a lot of folks, they're not going to go march in a in a Black Lives Matter rally. But all of a sudden, something happens to their neighbor. They're going to maybe make like macaroni and cheese, take it to their neighbor. You know, like whatever their dish is that they make, like. My wife makes amazing macaroni and cheese. So that's like one of the things that like when somebody's sick or somebody has a baby mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it is and take it to their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And to me, like we need to find those little moments of like that's a little moment of connection. And if we can help expand those. And that's why like there's a lot of folks who in Portland. Let me, let me interject here yeah, real yeah. quick. Um, to me, the, those little moments that you're talking about is no different than what your church did for the little moments that they have at their church. Yeah. There's but, no, there's zero difference. But we've you got have, you have this, you know, people that are downtrodden, that mm-hmm. are, you know, impoverished, and you have them come to your church, mm-hmm. and, and then you give them money. You say, hey, blah blah blah. blah. You have this nice interaction with them, mm-hmm. and then you go on about right. your business, totally, and nothing, absolutely nothing changes. Right. You just had a nice moment, right? But that's what I'm. It, it can't so end it, there. But so you have to have that first moment. There's nothing constructive coming from that. But you have to have that first moment. You don't have to. Because it can't, but it can't end there. You can't if, just hang your hat moment, on that moment. If that moment, if that's all it is, then it doesn't right. mean anything. If that's all it is, then yes, you're right. But if that's like the first step towards something where you go to your neighbor's house and then you all of a sudden are like, why? But white supremacy has been long enough that these little first steps, if, oh, totally. if we're still taking first steps and we're still celebrating first steps, then we're not, nothing is being accomplished. And that's, and that's why I'm saying when we're talking about dismantling mm-hmm. or, or solving of like if we're talking about solving a problem let's solve a problem mm-hmm. if you just if we just want to have cool conversations with white supremacists or like we want to stand up to an overt white supremacist like a or what I call a white extremist like mm-hmm. the God hates fags people yeah it's, it's no different to me it's no different than when I see the Patriot prayer mm-hmm. rally and you have the anti mm-hmm. Trump supporters right two large groups of white people clashing right you have your white identity extremists on the right mm-hmm. you have your uh more liberal white supremacists 
mm-hmm. covert on right. the left, and they're crashing. The white supremacists, the covert guys on the left saying, you guys are crazy. You're doing it wrong. This is mm-hmm. not how we treat people. Right. And then the ones on the right, they're like, man, you guys are way too nice to those people. This is what you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, it's two white supremacists totally. interacting. Mm-hmm. And nothing... No one on the other side, the non-white people, totally are constructively benefiting from either one of these interactions. Mm-hmm. So you might see it and say, hey, man, that's a great first step. I see it and be like, bullshit. Right. No, totally. You, ain't, you haven't done anything. Right. You have done absolutely nothing. Right. And that means nothing to me or anyone that is non-white. Right. I think, and I think that's where the tension, for me at least, is, is the both and where I 100% agree with you that like at a certain point we've had we've been living in the system for a long time mm-hmm. so we can't say oh I didn't know well you got the internet mm-hmm. go educate yourself you know what I mean mm-hmm. pay attention in class it's a thing if you're choosing to be ignorant to it it's because you're choosing to be ignorant to it mm-hmm. um, so I 100% agree with that and I think well, that, that but I think that we also need to find ways to say like this, it's this thing but we don't just only exist in that space we don't just celebrate the little moment to be like okay I went over there and I gave them you know some uh, leftovers mm-hmm. or I made them a casserole hey, I, put on, I put on a dress today guys look at me right. that was it yep. but then that check that box if we can say that was one step of many that are coming and that's where we need to say let's find those moments and then encourage them to continue happening so it's not just that moment that's in a bubble and then it never happens again but to say hey i saw that you made that step what can we do to help me make another one and i think that's the job of allies is because we can't ask whoever the group is that's not the job of people of color to educate white people Mm -hmm. we need to educate ourselves Mm -hmm. so if you're somebody who's a little bit further along in the journey it's then your responsibility to help bring people behind you to say like i'm going to call out those people to say hey that was a great first step keep coming what's the next one what can we do mm-hmm. hey i'm glad that you showed up at that i saw you at that rally like i haven't seen you at the maybe i have been going to the pride parades i haven't seen you there mm-hmm. but i saw you wearing a dress at Stu's rally mm-hmm. what can i do to help you take another step and what then that in that white uh, identity extremist like hey man i just did that for silverton i didn't do that for Stu. Yeah. I did that for Silverton. <laughs> well, then maybe you keep having those conversations and you say like, well, great. well, what is Silverton? You know, right. and then you have to keep inserting yourself into the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's the job of allies to educate other people because we can't ask whoever the group is, the minoritized group, to educate us. Mm-hmm. It's our job to educate ourselves. It's our responsibility to do it. Right. We can't put the weight on gay people to be responsible for our, you know, for their, like, we can't make them responsible for our shit Mm -hmm. like we have to deal with it we have to dismantle our own stuff Mm -hmm. but we do have to say like I have to recognize in myself I should have been at a different place 20 years ago but I wasn't so when I look back I have to say that one little moment that had huge effects now Mm -hmm. now that I'm downstream Mm -hmm. that doesn't remove the responsibility on me 20 years ago Mm -hmm. I was still benefiting still participating and I still am but it's still a long process. But to say, like, I couldn't have flipped a switch. But does it have to be a long process? Ideally, no. For some people, it is. Mm-hmm. For and you, did it have to be? Does it have to be? I mean, I wish that it wouldn't have been. I'm talking about right now. Like, what is what is stopping you from ending whatever process of eliminating? Um, the thoughts of privilege and racism and white supremacy. What it? What's the barrier between you and er, the eradication of white supremacy in your mind and in, in your subconscious? I mean, for me right now, there isn't one. It's a process that I'm 100% participating in to mm-hmm. say I got to root it all out mm-hmm. and I got to figure out a way to do it. I'm not there yet. Or and I think that's similar to like to say that's the like treating it like an alcohol like alcoholism treating like a disease or a disease yeah. to say like we don't we don't have a cure yet yeah for somebody with a disease that for a certain while they say I have this disease these are the things that I need to do mm-hmm. to continue to be healthy mm-hmm. you don't need, if you don't just say 
okay, I've got cancer now. Like you say, okay, I've got cancer. But if you just said like, cool, I've got it. Now I know mm. I'm going to continue just living. You're not going to live for very long. Word. You have to say, I got to do things. I got to discipline my body. Mm. I have to discipline my mind. I have to take certain medications. I have to do things. I got to change the way I eat. Yeah. I got to change the way I act. I got, if you smoke, you got to stop smoking. You got to do things that don't necessarily feel good mm. if you want to fight the disease. Word. If there are certain, you know, like you have a certain ability, you say like, I was in an accident. I lost the ability to use my arms. I got to figure out a way to continue to be able to live my life. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's the same way. It's like I, as a person who has this disease, I, as the person who's an alcoholic, mm -hmm. have to figure out a way to combat the things because it's really easy. It'd be really easy for me to just pick up a bottle and drink. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to say no, like, and, that, and that's what I think, again, like alcoholics say, for a lot of people, it's really difficult. Like, let's say you get into a habit of like, you're lonely, so you go to the bar and you're surrounded by people. So all of a sudden you want to quit drinking. You're not just giving up the alcohol, you're giving up the community and the friends. Mm -hmm. So how do you replace that with another community, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of really amazing organizations. There's like a really cool spot on uh, Gleason that's like open from 9 to 2 a.m., during bar hours and mm. they've got like coffee and they have cards and it's like this is a place that you can just come hang out because it, otherwise no, like uh, you're a single person you're older you're not married or your wife everybody's died, or whatever yeah. you're lonely yeah. it's really easy just to be like you know what I don't want to drink but I'm lonely so I'm going to go mm -hmm. and then you're in the bar and then it's easy to get back into it oh you know? yeah for sure so we need to have those like communities to be like I need to surround myself with other people who are equally minded where these things are not easily sucking me back in mm. but that's on me to say I got to keep taking these steps mm -hmm. so and, and it's it's hard for me to say this is what you should do mm. I'm saying this is what I did I wish that I would have not been raised that way mm. and, and, and and again it's like not even you know it's it's so insidious because it's so just self-serving that like there's people who just like all of a sudden 20 years later and they're like ah, I got lazy and I just reinforced all this stuff I didn't even think about it so like as a parent I'm like what am I doing now to make sure that all this baggage isn't getting passed down to my kids what's all the like stuff that I'm not even aware of now that I do that is my daughter starting to pick up and now that she's like four and talking about stuff Certain like even stuff about like it's like beauty stuff like she she hasn't ever, she's never gotten a haircut because she just doesn't want one she her hair's long. Mm. Well, real quick, I won't only go too far. Yeah, um, I'm gonna stay in line with these questions. So. But this is kind of along that line. But like I, I feel you. I but she's you. just like we were talking about getting a haircut, and she was like, "Oh, but would I still be pretty?" Mm. And I'm just like, ah, "Where did we screw up? Yeah. Like, because we don't want to pass that on to you, you know?" Yeah. But she's like. There's little things, but I'm like, if she's if she's picking that stuff up, what other stuff is she picking up that I'm like, I gotta fight that. Oh it's, yeah, you gotta be intentional. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So going back to the the foundation question. So what mm -hmm. so what is your religious foundation? I don't think I got an answer for that. <laughs> you caught on to me. I was yeah. trying to sneak around it. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think it's trying to understand who God is, trying to understand who Jesus is, trying mm -hmm. to understand what that means for us, mm -hmm. trying to, um, and just being a part and, and being open and willing to say, like, I don't know, mm -hmm. I don't have it figured out, mm -hmm. but I don't have to have it figured out. For me, it's the journey. For me, it's the, like, process of understanding. Because, mm -hmm. like, we're never going to get to a point where we 100% understand God, right? So, like, if my goal is that I've got it figured out and under and I understand God... I'm never going to get there. So you don't want to know. I want to know, but I know that the point is wanting to know. How do you know that? I mean, that's what it is for me. Like, but what for me, what, the what point made is you come to that conclusion that you don't, you shouldn't actually know. You should only strive to know. No, I mean, I think we should. I think the point is that we should want to know. Not that our point is that we get to a place where we say, okay, I've got it all figured out. Everything's solid now. It's all wrapped up. And this is now what I believe. Is there a level, level of comfort 
of not knowing? There's comfort and discomfort. Mm-hmm. Of not, sometimes it's really freeing to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. and I'm never going to know, and I don't have to have it figured out. Be like in math class, the teacher's like, what's the answer? And you were just like, I don't know, mm-hmm. and I'm never going to know, and I don't have to figure it out. And he's like, you're right. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's why I would got a degree in English, not in mathematics, because you can just be like, it's not about the answer. It's about the story. But like mm-hmm. to me, that is like something that's really beautiful is like, to me, it's not about that I have it figured out. Mm-hmm. It's that there's going to be a lifetime mm-hmm. of learning and a lifetime of understanding and an endless amount of things that are always going to be questions. So when you say God, who are you talking about? Trying to figure that out. When you say Jesus, who are you talking about? And, And trying to understand, there's the Jesus who I was taught Jesus is. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, attractive white guy with the blue eyes. The white Jesus, the white supremacist Jesus. The long-haired uh, sure. hippie Jesus. Sure. Who now I know that's not who Jesus is. The Jesus, who do you know that Jesus is? I know that Jesus was and is the person who broke down the empire of the time to say it's not about political power it's not about having it all figured out it's not about having wealth it's not about having power it's about serving and loving the least of these Mm. and what the least of these are is a wide variety of people it's you know you see jesus's ministry and he was going to the margins he was going to the outsides he was going to the people who were ostracized by the roman power who are ostracized by the church powers, who are ostracized by the cultural powers, to say Jesus is found, you know, essentially Jesus. You mean church said, like, like the Jew, the Jewish, country. right? Like the Sanhedrin yeah, and yeah. you know the the you know the powerful elite, right? Um, to say like it's the people who are at the outsides, it's the people who aren't able to be let in, mm-hmm. is where I'm going to be spending my ministry, mm-hmm. and then eventually Jesus said like. True, we know true religion is to serve orphans and widows, right. to lay down your life for your friend, mm-hmm. to be found amongst the the people, mm-hmm. not in the places of power, you know, and to be. And I again, I don't see him saying like the people who make sense. I don't see him saying I'm going to be found amongst the people who fit into your box Mm. I don't see him saying I'm going to be amongst the people who act a certain way and therefore deserve to be honored as a human being Mm. but to say like you are a human being first whether or not it makes sense to me I'm going to treat you as a human and to be seeking a community and to understand that community to be like this is a community of Christ where I see you as not somebody who I'm here to save, but somebody who potentially can save me mm-hmm. and who can be an equal. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of uh, liberation theology. Um, predominantly came out of like Latin America in the 60s and 70s. There's a really amazing still living philosopher named Enrique Dussel who writes a lot about liberation theology. And he talks about the, you know, the... Um, Descartes has the phrase, like, I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. In the Latin, it's cogito ergo sum, like, I think, therefore I am. And he talks about how that connected to, like, Western current religion is, like, a very, like, it's all about rationalism, like, what we can argue, what we can understand. I think, therefore I am. Like, and we can do the same thing. Like, I think, therefore I am a Christian, or I think, therefore I am these things. But he was like, all of that is white supremacist in nature. Like the very understanding of like, I think therefore I am because at the same time that we were developing that thought, like Descartes theorem, like colonial powers were dominating the world, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and so they were saying like, Oh, these people, they don't think therefore they are not. Mm -hmm. 
And so we have an entire philosophical system of the West mm -hmm. that is built upon, I think, therefore I am. But contrasting that to people who we said they're not able to even think. Yeah. So therefore they're not even humans, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of Western religion comes from that very foundation of Descartes of like saying like this is the in group this is the out group these are the people that are human these are the people that are not human mm -hmm. and going back to like God chose to reveal himself through a Palestinian Jewish single woman who was poor living under the heel of the Roman Empire you know like Jesus is somebody who grew up in that context like and that for me, it's really difficult to figure out as like, I'm an American who's seeking to support and eradicate the country of Palestine. Jesus was Palestinian, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm white and we have a long history of anti-Semitism. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was not white. He was a person of, you know, person of color, mm -hmm. a brown man. Mm -hmm. And... He was born to a single woman who, you know, we, for a lot of Catholicism, reveres Mary, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm a man and he's coming from, born of woman. So there's like all of these things that separate me from Christ. But then that's when we have this white Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm raised with like, oh, no, no, Jesus is like me. Then I come to understand like, okay, but if Jesus is not like me, Jesus is not white. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not American. Jesus is not all of these things, then how do I, as a white who is all of those things, for 25, 30 years of my life, Jesus was like me. But now Jesus is not like me. Mm -hmm. So what is this personal faith that I have, which is like, Jesus lives in my heart, but he's not like me. What do I get, like, what am I replacing that with? But then again, do I need Jesus to be like me for him to be powerful, mm -hmm. for him to be the savior? It's a good question. And I think the fact that Jesus is not like me maybe makes him a better savior. Because me and all of those things, white, male, cisgender, are comfortable, are easy, mm -hmm. are dominating, are sinful, are destructive. So the fact that he's calling me out of those things is the thing that I need to be called out of. Mm. You know so what, what I mean? Say sinful. What is, what is sin according to your definition or understanding? of Anything that destroys or breaks down the relationship with Christ and God, anything that breaks down and destroys the relationship with others, anything that breaks down or destroys my relationship with myself. And where, where do you get that understanding or, or definition from? I mean, I think just if you look at like the thing behind the thing for like any sort of like we have our list of sins right even like mm -hmm. the, the most famous like seven deadly sins right mm -hmm. wrath you know anger that's destroying a relationship with somebody else mm -hmm. gluttony it's destroying my own relationship with myself mm -hmm. because I'm destroying my own body mm -hmm. at the pursuit of like you know pleasure or food or having mm -hmm. bad habits um, you know so and, and even just you, you look at the opposite of sin righteousness like, what is righteousness? Mm. Well, God says, like, love God, love others. So then if you look at the opposite, well, then what is sin? Well, it's not loving God and it's not loving others. So it's the thing. The pursuit of loving God and loving others is righteous. Then the pursuit of not loving others, not loving God, is anything that's destructive to those relationships, anything that tears down those relationships mm -hmm. that says, I'm better than you, or I'm more important than you, or I'm going to pursue this thing because it feeds me, but it doesn't feed you. Mm. Um you're putting yourself first, selfishness. Mm -hmm. Um, let's say I think the seven deadly sins that comes out of Proverbs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's just they call it seven deadly sins, but right. I think in Proverbs it talks about you know what you were saying, yeah, wrath, yeah. lying tongue, and right feet that are quick to swiftly to shed blood run mm -hmm. swiftly to shed blood something like that right uh, a proud look mm -hmm. you know it's like it's like an abomination or something you know stuff mm -hmm. like that um and there's a lot of like wisdom in proverbs oh yeah 
but then there's also a lot of like how do I actually do this sometimes like you read proverbs and you're like I'm never gonna this is a crazy long list Mm -hmm. which is also why we have like the Old Testament and then the New Testament right or Old Testament has like all the laws and stuff that kind of outlines it has the Ten Commandments but like all the 613 or Mm -hmm. however many laws there are right but then that's what the ministry of Christ was was to say like we don't have the law anymore but in a sense because now you have the law in this relationship where like if you just choose to like honor these relationships then you don't need to be worrying about all the laws anymore because if I'm looking at you one to one eye to eye we're on equal level well he didn't say you don't need the law anymore right but we don't we're not saved by the law anymore we're saved through by Christ grace, faith and grace, grace, not by adherence to the law. It's not, but also, but he didn't say to get rid of the law, though. No, yeah, but it's not. He just thing. came to. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the fulfill law. it, right? Yeah, and that's what Enrique Dussel talks about. It's like there's that he, in one of the kind of essential parts. There's that verse in. Uh, there's a few points throughout. I think there's one in Romans, and then also in Revelations, where it says like, "At one day we will see each other face to face," right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Enrique Dussel is talking about. Is like face to face is true equality. Like we are sitting at the level, looking at each other. There's not looking down or looking up at anybody. Mm-hmm. It's the face to face, and and he kind of extrapolates on that. Like what happens when you're sitting face to face? When you're sitting at a table talking? It's when you're eating together. Mm-hmm. It's when you're in those conversations with your friends. It's when you're laying in bed with your partner it's when you're you know like with your kids and you're mm-hmm. telling a story you know it's all these like really intimate moments of like community so like what the that doesn't mean that like that's a future thing like mm-hmm. eventually we'll be there like that's something that we can start doing now mm-hmm. like how can we live face to face now built tearing down those things meeting with people um you know there was a there's a one of those horribly sad statistics that like the church today mm-hmm. is as um, segregated along gender lines as it was before the Civil War. No doubt about it. And th- and and then they also there's a study that that statistic came out of. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I want to know what the other questions were. What's all the other data, right? Mm-hmm. One of the questions was that they asked was like, when was the last time that you were in the home or had dinner of somebody from a different background or a different ethnicity. And it was like, for the majority of people, never. Mm. And so again, kind of, I'm not saying that the solution is baby steps, but celebrating those little victories is like, tomorrow on Sunday, we're not going to be able to get the white church to shut down and have everybody just go to the black church. And that would probably maybe be harmful to the black church, right? Because then you'd have all these white people showing up and be like, why don't we do things our way? And they're like, nope. But if we can maybe get some people to have dinner together, that that maybe is a first step mm-hmm. that will eventually lead there. Mm-hmm. Not saying that we also shouldn't be in those conversations being like, oh, what you just said is really horribly racist mm-hmm. and you can't do that in my house. But having dinner together is a step to say, let's get there, you know, or we get we want to get to a point where we're all like you're saying who can't say that something is something is racist no I'm saying we should be able to say that like oh okay right like we're gonna have dinner together mm-hmm. you say something that's offensive I'm not just gonna be like oh, let's just celebrate that we're sharing this dinner mm-hmm. you know what I mean like we should be able to say like hey what you just said is whatever like mm-hmm. it's offensive mm-hmm. but that is coming out of a relationship that we're building and we're sitting together at a table and we're having dinner together. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's dope. So, and it's completely idealistic mm-hmm. and completely probably my privilege mm-hmm. speaking as well. Probably so. But I've seen a really I, amazing I things see... come out of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I've seen people show up at places and I've been like at some of those rallies where like, like the the couple days after the grand jury announced that they weren't going to be indicting in Ferguson 
Mm -hmm. um, the Albina Ministerial Alliance did a huge march downtown. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there was the completely crazy left-wing anarchists who showed up who were yelling at... Um, you know some of the leadership mm. and the organization the group who helped organize that thing the march put purposely like dr leroy haynes was like the main speaker and dr leroy haynes is like a powerhouse of social justice in portland helped lead the like leads the albina ministerial alliance was like get inducted into the oregon civil rights hall of fame like helped lead the attorney general's. I'm sorry, lawsuit. Jake. I'm sorry, Jake. You you kind of running on with the sentences. Sorry, <laughs> but I'm just saying like you're telling a lot of stories. I'm trying to I'm trying to go through a line of yeah, yeah I'm getting there. consistent constructive conversation. I'm getting there, and we're not. But he All like right, amazing leader, right? Let's wrap this one up. All these guys on the left are yelling at him, being like, "This is how you should protest," and he's like, "I know how to protest." He okay. marched with Dr. King in the '60s, right? I get it. Like. And that they're yelling at him. I saying, get it. White supremacists don't tell black people how to do what they do. But then there were these other people that I was seeing over here on the side mm -hmm. who were just like a family who was like, I don't know what to do. I'm pissed off and I'm angry. I'm a white family. I just had to be here. Mm -hmm. They're not siding with the guys on the left yelling at Dr. Haynes telling them what to do. But they're like, I don't know what to do but to show up and to put myself here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, sometimes... That's all that, like, you just got to show up mm -hmm. and, like, have that be your first step. Don't go home and never show up again. Word. That's not the thing. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, I think they were pissed off and were just like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to this thing. I don't have the answers, but I'm at least I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. To be like, that's something that's beautiful. And then we need to say, thank you. Continue participating. Here's other ways that you can show up. Here's another rally that you can go to. Here's an organization that you can plug into. Oh, you're a parent. Here's some other parents who have kids who are also struggling with the same thing. Welcome. How can we help you continuing on this journey? You know Word. what I mean? Word. Sorry for the rambling, but that's, I'm just like, again, I don't have a solution. I'm just about the story. I get it. I get <laughs> it. Um, what are you doing to stop or persuade all other white people to stop practicing white supremacy? I think just trying to be connecting with people to say, like, let's have these conversations when, like, when educating other white folk. What are you educating them on? When somebody says something to say, hey. Preemptively, I'm not talking about reaction. Like, what are right. you actively educating them on when you're interacting? Not just like I, I mean, think you're gonna, gonna, you're gonna interact with white people on a regular mm -hmm. basis because you live around white right. people. You're in Portland; it's super white. So I'm not just saying like random things come up and you stop someone from telling a racist mm -hmm. joke. Right. What are you doing? Like, are you saying this is your mission to dismantle? Mm -hmm. So what are you doing to persuade all other white people, whether something comes up or not, whether mm -hmm. it's a march rally or not? What are you doing to help dismantle white white supremacy? I think inviting people to participate in some of those things, to say, I'm going to go. Do you want to come with me? Can be huge. I think a lot of people are afraid of taking that first step mm -hmm. and say, I'm going. Mm -hmm. Can you come? Do you want to come? I'm going to go to this Do you want to dismantle white supremacy? Absolutely. But you don't want to know how. You just no, I do to want to know how. Okay. Yeah, and that's the first step for me is taking ownership of myself, okay. educating myself, reading as much as I possibly can, mm -hmm. educating myself as much as I possibly can, mm -hmm. showing up to conversations and listening and not judging Word. and just saying like, it doesn't make sense to me, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to. I want to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. I want to know when something, when I have that reaction, like, I don't like it. Is that because I don't like it or mm -hmm. is that because of my privilege? You know, how do I tear these things down? How do I recognize it in myself? How do I seek out other voices? And then invite other people to those conversations mm -hmm. to say, here's something, here's questions that I have and other people to say, oh yeah, I have that same question. Great, great. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Let's unpack that. Let's do the work together. Let's find other people who are doing the similar things mm -hmm. and help hold each other accountable, mm -hmm. help build each other up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and then hopefully inspiring some of those conversations as well. And if those conversations aren't happening in your everyday life, which if we live in Portland, the widest major city in America, 
it's easy to not be exposed to things. Mm-hmm. So to say, then if we're not if we're not seeing those things in our neighborhood, how do we seek those out? How do we put ourselves into those places? How do we do the work to have those conversations? Mm-hmm. How do we do the work to learn and educate so we don't just continually live in the place of ignorance? Um, you know. So for me, it's about educating myself, taking care of my things, doing my own work, mm-hmm. listening to others, and then also trying to invite other people to participate in that. Whether it's like putting on events mm-hmm. or hopefully through the podcast, having it be a place where people can listen in to be like, oh yeah, I didn't ever thought about it from that perspective. Mm. Or, you know, that is an amazing thing, you know, um, inviting, if I'm having those conversations, inviting other people to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think listening is like the first listening can be, we live in a culture where people are yelling at each other and nobody's, and nobody's listening to each other Word. and we need to have a place to say, and I do a lot of yelling myself. And so I'm like, got to slow it down because mm-hmm. sometimes you do need to yell, right? Sometimes if somebody's doing something, don't yell at me, but, but you got it. <laughs> if you, if I see you doing something, <laughs> but like. We sometimes you do need to yell because there's like we're there's that righteous anger, right? Jesus turned overturned the tables in the temple. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus wasn't just like this this completely like, hey guys, mm-hmm. um, would you mind if you didn't? You know, he was like, no, there are there's a time to yell. Mm-hmm. There, you know, um, but for people of privilege, mm-hmm. ours is a place that like we need to take a step back and do more listening. And not immediately reacting and saying that doesn't make sense to me therefore it's wrong mm. but just to say the first step is just listening sitting with it for a while and then maybe later you go at first I didn't like it, it made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. well maybe your comfort is the problem that they were talking about mm-hmm. so yeah you should be uncomfortable Where? so <clears throat> your your objective once again is is to dismantle a lot of things um, what what do you want to... I think I kind of asked this earlier. I don't think I got a clear answer because uh, I'm trying to understand it. What, When it comes to white supremacy, what, mm-hmm. what would you want to replace that with? Like Once that's removed in your mind and ideal world for you, mm-hmm. the way that you think it should go, once white supremacy is dismantled, which would dismantle white theology, dominant mm-hmm. theology, it would, all that stuff right. once the white supremacy comes down, what would you want to replace it with? I mean, I think built, replacing it not with just another dominant ism, and that's oftentimes like the reaction, right? You mm-hmm. quit, you quit drinking. You got to replace it. it it's with easily another habit. It's it's replaced with another habit, which mm-hmm. sometimes is destructive too. You know what I mean? I mean something positive. Right, you have to replace it with something positive. Yeah. Um, I have a bunch of friends who quit doing like really hard illicit drugs, and they started smoking, mm-hmm. which is like, yeah, that's better for you than crack or mm-hmm. whatever other stuff you were doing, but it's still not good for right. you. You don't want to do that. So right. what So what do you have in mind? So replacing, replacing it with a system that is 100% idealistic, but that is truly diverse, not just diversity for the sake of diversity, but really a plurality of like, because if you just replace it with one kind of dominant theology for another dominant theology of like, okay, we're no longer a, a white supremacist theology, but it's still male, like, it's still gender dominant. You know what I mean? Um, would be better, but having a, play, a, a, a system of belief that is really like multiple voices are valued. Is the Bible that is as it's written right now, is it male dominant? Yeah, I think so. Is that wrong? I think so. Why do you think it's wrong? Because I think it alienates and discredits half or potentially more than half of our population. You in know, your for, in your opinion, um, do you think that the Bible is, you know, the inspired word of God? Yeah. So if the Bible is the inspired word of God it's male dominant but you think it's wrong that would lead one to believe that just following the logic mm-hmm. that God is wrong that God wrote that Bible in a way that's that's wrong 
Well, I don't. I or think God inspired the words of these men and wrote it in a context that's wrong for our modern society. Yeah, but I mean, we kind of believe that, anyways, right? No, I don't believe. But when you're, I think the current society. So you're not following that. the Bible to a T, like, like the no, laws not, that I'm were set forth. Right, like there are I'm certain striving, things that we say. I'm striving to follow it. Right, but we say there are certain things that we say, like, "Oh, that was written for that context during that time." No, I, I believe the laws that were written. Well, the laws that were written were for the the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the seven Noahide laws that are right. like written for all men. Mm-hmm. Period. All all people. Um, but then, if if you're a follower of Christ, Christ never came. He didn't. Abolish the law. The law right. still stands, but you we know, don't follow did. all of the laws. Uh, like my, when my who, wife's on her period, she doesn't sleep we? outside my house. Who is we? M- most culture. Most culture. Okay. <laughs> like when my wife's on her period, like she Christian. doesn't sleep outside Christians. the house, right? Yeah. When I wear mixes of polyester and cotton, and mm-hmm. I eat shellfish and I eat pigs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. like all sorts of things that. Are biblical that they're in the Bible yeah. they're listed as a law mm-hmm. or they're listed even in the New Testament as like good things my wife wears makeup and she has earrings mm-hmm. those are things in the New Testament that say we shouldn't do I wear hats sometimes inside you know like there's lots of things that we don't follow I don't know if because about makeup in, New Testament. in uh, Acts and in Romans there's sections where it says like don't wear makeup because Paul was not wanting the church to seem like they were uh, like the pagan priestesses that there was like a group of pagan priestesses that wore a lot of makeup that had a lot of earrings in their in their services so he's saying like, mm. don't wear makeup don't have don't decorate your hair don't do these things because he didn't want them to be confused with these other practices mm, I'll have to find um, that. yeah and uh so there, I mean, there's also there's all sorts of things that we don't follow today because we say like, oh, that was for that context. Mm-hmm. It's still valuable. Mm-hmm. There, it's like we don't necess- we don't say we shouldn't wear makeup or not wear makeup, but we say like, oh, okay, we extrapolate a larger meaning, which is that like we shouldn't do things that help confuse us with things that are counter to what we believe, right? So like, if there's a system in place that is destructive don't do things that seem like that system you know Mm. you're called to like a higher level of righteousness Mm. so like we take the law and be like what's the actual meaning behind it is it that if i wear two types of fabric mixed together that i'm dying and going to hell no Mm. it's that there's a larger theological or there's a larger spiritual truth that is maybe able to be understood Mm. through this you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and i don't believe in the, I believe in the inspired, that the Bible is inspired, but I don't necessarily believe that it is like 100% inerrant without like error. Mm. That it was written by people mm. that were understanding and doing their best to explain things that they were trying to make sense of. Mm. And that it's about the narrative it's not necessarily about the facts that it's about mm-hmm. like the story that it's like is everything 100% accurate no we know that it's not because there are certain things that are like Matthew's gospel is different than Luke's gospel there are certain times where it's like wait a minute but in this one you said he was here but in this other narrative he's here but does that if we take those things that we would consider mistakes and say, do we have to therefore throw the baby out with the bathwater? No, we can say, what's the greater story here? Mm-hmm. Does it matter that if on June 5th at six o'clock, Jesus was eating this or that? No, not really. It'd be cool to know, mm-hmm. but does it, it doesn't matter if one gospel is 100% accurate at the same as the other gospel. Mm-hmm. What is the story that they're telling? They're both telling the same story mm. that Christ was serving others. If John says the guy that he was serving, his name was Tom, but Matthew says that his name was Bob, does that change the fact that he was serving somebody and that he was loving them? 
Mm. No, that doesn't change that. It doesn't change the gospel. It doesn't change the grace. It doesn't change the power. Mm. So sometimes the facts we can can get in the way. Sometimes mm. they can be really crucial. It depends, right? But as we know with like poetry, like when I write a poem about my wife and I say like, she's like a rose. She's not really like a rose. That's just a metaphor. Then like when I try to describe her, the language I have is not sufficient. So I have to use things like allegory or analogy or metaphor. Mm -hmm. When David, when King David in the, in Psalm says, God is a rock. God is not really a rock, but he represents like through that poetry that God can be a place of refuge. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like, it's not factual. It's poetic. Mm -hmm. It's not factual. Well, some things are factual. Some things are, but some things are poetic. Mm -hmm. And some things are metaphoric. Some mm -hmm. things are, is it really matter if this thing really happened exactly how it says, mm -hmm. or is there a larger story there? You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, that's where the power is, is that it's in the larger narrative. It's in the poetry of it. And sometimes if we get bogged down in the fact that then they have all the arguments of like, well, what translation, what translation are you reading? Mm. Which history, you know, like if you're using the King James Bible, then we have to believe that unicorns exist because in the original King James, it refers to unicorns. We know that there aren't unicorns. So. Oh, what, uh, what verse is that? It was like the original six. What, what year was that? The original King James. Mm. My brain is completely fried. Mm. The first King James version that came out. They translated a type of like antelope as, into unicorn. Mm. Um, was that like the first time a unicorn was ever found in any writing? No, there was other legends oh, of okay. unicorns just yeah. in culture. And they were like, oh, we don't know what this is. Because the priest who was translating the Bible lived in England, had mm. never been to the Middle East, didn't know Middle Eastern what flora and fauna, so mm. wouldn't know what like an aurochs is. Mm. So it was just like, uh, this is a word that seems to represent a thing, and the, the translation is like a horn. It seems like a unicorn. Unicorn. You know what I mean? Um, and also like the... That's funny. The, the Apostle James. Uh, James. Yeah. His name is not James. King James said, translate it to James, because I'm James, and I want my name to be in the Bible. Well, yeah, all those names weren't English names. Right. They were Jewish names. And they just got translated. And they translated to something. Oh, so yeah. we go, well, it's factual. Well, his name's not James, so it's not mm -hmm. factual. There was mm -hmm. a translation that they said, oh, we're going to translate it this way. Oh, yeah. But Jesus' name is not Jesus. No. It's, it's Yeshua. It's Yeshua. Joshua. Yeah. It's, you know, so we go. But what's the story? Does it matter that we're actually calling him, we call him Jesus? Mm -hmm. Do you think he's going, my name's not Jesus, so therefore you're all going to die and right. we're all going to go to hell? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. He's going to go... That's what you're choosing to call me, but the point is, is that you believe this bigger thing. But you thing. know who I am. Right. You know who I am. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's And like, I know who you are. That's right. the most important part. <laughs> right. I know who you are. Not just, you know, I, I know who you are. You're one of mine. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's totally. Dope. That's dope. Yeah, man. Um, well, I think I want to... Is there anything else that you kind of want to dig into as far as, like, your dismantling, you know what I mean? And... What you what you plan to accomplish with the with the podcast? I mean, I don't I don't know what I plan to accomplish, mm -hmm. just because I want to explore what's out there. You know, mm -hmm. um, I want to learn. Yeah, I don't want to come in with a presupposed understanding, because then what's the point of learning if you already know what the answer is? You know, right. um, I want to sit and learn from other amazing wise people and say like what's it look like from your perspective you know mm -hmm. so hopefully once i get it started i'm gonna have you on my podcast Word. I'm down. so i can sit and learn from you because like yeah. to me that's the where the power is is yeah. learning from others learning especially from others is everything yeah. especially people with a different experience mm -hmm. to say like man to me jesus was a white guy who now i realize was just used as a way to uh reinforce a white supremacy that I now realize is completely hollow. Mm -hmm. So, how can I understand Jesus from a perspective that's yeah, more robust? That's, that's crazy. You got. I mean, we all have to start over. Even me, I had to start over. You know, I, right. I started over like three. When, when did Mike Brown happen? Was that twenty fourteen? Yeah, that's when I started over. That's I mean, for I, me, that's when I questioned everything. That's when I was like, hold on, something's wrong. Right. And for yeah. me, that was like a before that. I had still been dismantling stuff and mm -hmm. was getting more and more to a place. Mm -hmm. 
but a good friend of mine um, you should check her out online she's a phenomenal leader thinker uh, Mickey Scott Bay Jones mm. um, and we were having a conversation um, and she said like essentially what we're doing is our black brothers and sisters are saying my house is on fire mm-hmm. and the white church is going like well let's uh, talk about let's talk about it. why is why why is your house on fire mm-hmm. and she's like I, I don't just help me my kids are in there mm-hmm. and we're being like well but you know wh- why did you build your house so close to the you know this thing and mm-hmm. she's like I don't care mm-hmm. my kids are in there help me save my kids well, but, you know, like, we're going to take some time to, like, think about our theology and see what we have to do with, like, fire. Mm-hmm. No, like, my kids are in there. And at a certain mm-hmm. point, we just have to be like, we don't agree theologically, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because somebody's house is on fire and their mm-hmm. kids are in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go, it doesn't matter what I believe anymore. Mm-hmm. Am I going to be the type of person who's going to run into the house, whether I agree with you or not, and just try to help you with your kids? Right. And then maybe say through that, like... Well, what was the thing stopping me from running into the fire? So, like, Mike Brown's murder was, like, that time when I was, like, I no longer have the ability to just have this be a, like, intellectual thing. Mm -hmm. Like, somebody's house is on fire. I got to start just showing up and just throwing water onto this thing. Whether I know it's going to work or not, I'm Mm -hmm. at least trying. Mm -hmm. Whether I I might be, like, this water's not going to work. What you need is actually this blah, blah, blah. It's, like, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, we just need people to show up. And help like and to me that's the beauty of like what the gospel is is that it's not it doesn't matter of whether you agree theologically because like even like my best friends like we don't agree theologically mm-hmm. but there's something else that draws us to each other where and that's where the beauty of the gospel is you know definitely definitely well it's been a great talk, man. I can't wait to do your podcast man this is like I now I actually we have can, to do we it. can we can no <laughs> you're gonna do it you're going to do it, and I plan to be on it, and we have a great conversation, constructive conversation. I wish I can go longer. I really yeah, got, I I have, have, have somewhere to go, actually. But uh, uh, we're two hours strong. This could easily go three hours, man, if, if we had the time. We'll do it again. <laughs> but uh, we'll definitely do this again. I appreciate y'all for listening. Jake, how can, they, uh, how can the folks that are listening reach out to you, man? Right now, you can just hit me on Instagram. Word. Um, it's at the underscore dismantled. And yep. uh, pretty soon we'll have a website, but I'm starting starting organic instead of building all this stuff. Where people build a website and they don't even have a podcast. I don't have yet. a website yet, bro. <laughs> I just do everything. All I'm I'm like, do I even need a website by now? No, I, I probably it. do. I don't know. But. I just want to hang out with people. So yeah. message me. We'll get coffee. I don't need to have a website. I'd rather have coffee and hang out anyway. So work. Yeah. All right. And once again, y'all can hit me up at sxsndls on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my personal Instagram, Emmanuel since eighty five. Hit me on Facebook with my government, Emmanuel Williams. And once again, this is the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Appreciate y'all for listening. Grace and peace. I'm